Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me, on the mic, hosting an episode where I share recent reflection or story from my own life, as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. Today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Ashley Sumner. Ashley is the CEO and founder of Quilt, a social platform for meaningful friendships. Ashley's startup career started 12 years ago in New York City at a matchmaking company. With an intuitive ability to bring people together, she turned her passion into a career as a community developer for brands such as Newhouse, Wanderlust, and Breakout, which ultimately led to the creation of Quilt. She now lives in Los Angeles like every other New Yorker. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Ashley. Hey, Ashley. Hello. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to chat today. Same, same. Thanks for having me. I do have to start with this. She now lives in Los Angeles like every other New Yorker. Do we have a hypothesis about all New Yorkers? What is this? This like, it's not a dig, but it's an observation. I'd like to just touch on for a sec. Yeah. Well, it's actually interesting. I just signed a contract to go back to New York for November 1. So I'm going to have to update my bio. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm coming full circle, but I definitely noticed, and I came before COVID, but I noticed that like New Yorkers were like, oh, I want to be in nature. So they went to LA and LA was like, oh, I got to get out of here. So they like went to Austin. Like it seems like there's just like, and then everyone kind of keeps circling through. So I just happen to be, I'm skipping the Austin and just going right back to New York. Yeah, I think the grass is always greener, right? Like a lot of these places though, just visit. Typically that's enough. Why going back to New York? I'm curious the the switch. I'm an LA native and I love LA. So I'm very curious. And also right before winter, which is a bold move. That is bold. You know, I love both places. I moved here at a time I'd spent about a decade in New York and my 20s. And I went big in every possible way without learning really how to take care of myself in the process. And LA has taught me how to take care of myself. It's been a very nurturing environment. I found my like entrepreneurial voice here. And I'm craving the like creative inspiration the energy, like the heartbeat for where I am right now. But I'm also, I'm in a very privileged position that I don't have to just be in one place now. So I get to still come back to LA and, uh, you know, I don't have to like choose, choose, but primarily I'll be in New York. Yeah. You get to do a little bit of it all. That's the beauty of not being in your twenties anymore. (laughs) You're like, wait, I have choices. I've done just fine. I don't have to stay in one place. Why are we all staying in one place? You don't have to pick. So Yeah. And I think actually we're seeing obviously with like remote work and stuff, everyone's kind of doing that. They're just like letting themselves be a little bit more flexible if they love a certain... I know someone who is now doing summers in one city and then nine months out of the year in another city. Like, yeah, that's great. makes perfect sense. Why not? All right. So before we get into the meat of 
your 20s. I do want to just start with a little bit of an icebreaker. We ask all our guests this. So what is something new that you learned in this past week that you could share with our audience? It can be something like really, really serious, conversation or a quote that changed the way you think about something. It could also be something super light, like a new meal you cooked or a fun movie you enjoyed. Yeah. Well, all my friends say I only know how to go deep. So here we go. I have an amazing coach. His name is Khalid. And we were having a a big conversation about the stages of human development. And he's like, you know, there's actually, there's an established like five stages of human development that he specifically can like teach and work in and something he's learned. And it, he broke them down for me. And he also broke down how most of humanity is in phase three and like it's our work to get to phase four where five is enlightenment and like we're all one. So 1% of humanity will get there, totally strive for it. But I felt really fascinated by, because I feel like I am living between these realities of stage three and stage four. And stage three is that our sense of self is really based on outside variables. So like the title that we want and, you know, the status that we want and what other people might say about us if we're not in the room and like the clubs we're a part of and just like basically identity based on outside variables, right? And phase four is really about like, I understand what the ultimate expression of myself is and it's okay if like the outside likes it or doesn't like it, but like I am on this path this is my purpose, this is who I am, and this is what I want to do in the world. And not worrying about something like a title or someone liking us or whatever that looks like. And so, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about what it's like to be, especially in my 20s, care a lot about number three. And there's a big gift, I think, when you get to your 30s where you you have the opportunity and some space to realize that that level four is gold. Yeah. I think there's also like in different areas of life, you're more of a three in phase three and in different areas, you're more of phase four, mm-hmm. which, yeah, it makes sense. You'd say also that you kind of teeter between both and probably as you get older, you can move through. What what does five entail? And I feel like of of a lot of people, you're you're closest to it because you're very reflective and introspective. What what does five look like? Like pure enlightenment. I We hear that enlightenment in a lot of different conversations in a lot of different contexts, but what does it mean with this coach? How do you really achieve that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's a big question for for each person because our journeys are different, our karmic paths look different, the patterns that want to keep presenting themselves are going to look different for each of us. But I do think it's the awareness, the conscious awareness of oneness that we are like we are all one. My greatest example is this summer I had the chance to spend a lot of time in nature and before leading up to the, I was in a city and I was like, I don't know. And I had confusion and I had doubt and there was like so much going on. And the second I got to nature and I just walked into a lake that nobody else was in, in the middle of like the morning, everything made sense for me. There was something that can just connect us in a way to realize that there is no separation. And to me, like stage five is the fact that you just live in that state. This is probably why people are exploring psilocybin journeys and plant medicine and assistive therapies and all of that kind of stuff, because the outcome is that you, you do feel connected. So it's certainly something I'm interested in, in this lifetime. But like we said, 1% gets there. I love it. Well, I think if nothing else, you can at least have little moments of it along the way. 
And even if it's not like a true five, at least it's it's some form of connectedness, oneness, peace, whatever you want to call it. What kinds of coaches do you have? You mentioned this this one coach that you were talking to. Maybe this is just a friend of yours and not like someone that you see regularly. No, you see this person all the time. Can you tell me a little bit about like the coaches you have in your life and specifically this one as well? And like, I think a lot of 20 somethings think they're too young for coaches or there's sort of this like big question mark around why why would I need a coach? What are they going to coach me on? So if you could talk a little bit more about that, that would be helpful. This is probably my favorite topic because I, I really, I strongly believe in curating your counsel, like curating those people that you trust, that you feel safe with, that you feel inspired by, that you admire, that can teach you something whether it's a mentor, an advisor, a coach, a therapist, a psychic, a clairvoyant, like, and anything in between. And I'm very vocal on how I, like, I have all of them. <laughs> Khalid Halim is my executive coach. He's been coined by many platforms as the CEO whisperer. I feel very, very grateful that I get to work with him. I've been with him for about a year. He was recommended to me by one, by two of my VCs that are invested in Quilt. And what's amazing about him is he understands the day-to-day, the operations. Like he really can, he can get in on that level, but he's also a deeply spiritual person and understands that leadership is a spiritual path. It's like the greatest path to, to personal development, you know, and to, to confronting what's up for you. So he's been a huge person on my journey. And then I started, I actually started therapy when I was 14 years old. So 20 years ago. I've been in therapy and I've worked with different ther- like types of therapists and like therapist blended coaches and EMDR and all different formats that I also think is really important work. And then, yeah, I do. I do work with a psychic or two. Um, <laughs> Got to throw and that I in. Love, and I love them too. You know what I mean? I mean, I think it's really important to, in a moment where you're, you're seeking to go out, collect as much information have that information, sit with it and decide what's true for you. Nobody is going to tell you what's better for you than you. Like you do have all the answers, but we also can be inspired by outside influence. And I love listening and learning from other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think also it takes a lot of self-awareness and confidence to hear what other people have to say about you. I think that's the other thing that we often miss is like it requires someone who's willing to hear that they're not doing something right or that there's maybe an obstacle in their path and not get defensive and not get scared. And it's just like, you just take it in and you're like, okay, all right, we'll handle it. We'll deal with it. It takes a real, like, I just think of like an even line, you know, like it takes a real calmness and a real confidence to hear that, that sometimes in your twenties that, um, that's not always there. It's like, wait, what? Something's changing. Something's going wrong. So thank you for sharing that. That's very interesting. And great to hear too, as an entrepreneur and a founder that you found someone that you feel like really resonates because it's hard work, like you said. Okay, so let's get into the 20s. Maybe we'll start with like before you went to college and before you started your journey in your 20s, what did you want to be when you grew up? You started therapy at 14. So I'm going to guess you were a pretty introspective kid and you grew up in New York. So maybe you did have, I'm just guessing here, a lot of ambition from a very young age what were the things you wanted to be? I'm curious. Those are my couple guesses, but I want to hear from you. Yeah. So I, my mother put me in a tutu when I was three. So I I definitely wanted to be a performer, a dancer. I was really, I was called a a wise old soul when I was young. I liked hanging out with adults more than kids. And I was really interested in people's stories. Um, Really interested in going deep with people. And I figured out I was empathic 
at a, at a really young age. So I had three obsessions as like what my career was going to be. And you're right. From a young age, I was like, I want to do something big in the world, you know, and I announced that probably standing on top of a table with tap shoes on. I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to actually be specifically a marriage counselor. I wanted to be a dancer, like a performing arts musical theater dancer. And then there was a weird sidebar one that I got on for a minute because I took a class, which was a marine biologist. I was really fascinated with what was going on underwater and had a whole stint, had a whole couple year long, super random stint of marine obsession. Love that. That's amazing. Was it reading books, going to the aquarium? Was it all the things? It was just deep dive into marine. I I think too, if you're such an empath, maybe it was like you really care about humans and that extended to like animals. Like maybe that's the, is that with the connection we're thinking? I worked with an acting teacher or whatever around 12 or 13 who was vegan and inspired me to stop eating animal protein. And I think that that was the beginning of probably my love and fascination for non-human life form. Fair. How Do you still, what's your current, are you vegan, pescatarian, I'm nothing? Not. Yeah. No, I'm, 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 no, I'm nothing. That lasted for over a decade. I uh, got a little sick and needed a little energy. So I kind of decided that intuitive, moderate eating is what's best for me. And so I say I'm allergic to gluten. There's certain things I'm very sensitive to, but I eat everything in moderation for the most part. Yeah. I'm the same way. It's the only way to do it. Listening to your body and not overdoing it on things that don't make you feel good or make you feel like, you know, consciously a little off. Like I have this rule. I don't eat meat that has the same name as the animal. Like it's just a mind game. Like I can't have lamb if it's a lamb, you know, like a duck is a duck. But why is bacon okay? Like I couldn't tell you. You know what I mean? A little distance. A little okay. distance. I, get, I might use that actually. I like, I get it. I, yeah. uh, it's a psychological thing. It really is. And like, I don't know why, like why is steak different, beef different, pork different, you know, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but somehow a lamb on my plate, I'm just like, I just, it's too much. It goes too far. Um, oh gosh, that might sink in for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can take that if you want. I, I come from a family of vegans, so I've had to create my own, my own rules around that. Okay, great. So we have all these different passions, including like a hint of performance dance, which I love. Then we decide we're going to NYU and we're going to do drama film philosophy. Drama film psychology. Oh, drama film psychology. Okay, tell me, very, three very interesting majors. Tell me the, why those choices and how you liked NYU. NYU is fun. It's pretty crazy to move to NYU when you're 17 going on 18 and you grow up even faster than you probably ever intended to. You know, I, I mean, I performed from the age of three through high school. It brought me a lot of joy. It was my artistic expression. It was escapism for me. It, you know, it was, it was so fun to put on a a performance. And with my mom, I was raised by a single mom. And I basically said to her, I wanted to either go to California or go to New York. And I wanted to be close to her. And, but the only good school for that was NYU. And I said, you know, I'll audition. If I get in, that's my choice. But otherwise, like, I'm off to California. 
And I never thought I'd get in, you know, that it's a very rigorous program and process to, you know, showing up for multiple days, dancing, singing, acting, interviewing, like it's such, so intense, actually, now that I think about it. But I got in, I got in and it was just like a really interesting opportunity of my mom, like fully supporting this totally wild and unconventional dream and NYU speaking to like level three of human development, like the number one school in the world for performance saying, yes, you, like we pick you, you know, it really was validating. And while I was there, I had the chance to explore so many other topics. And that's when I got to get into film and I got to get into psychology. I got to learn about different forms of like different practicums around how to blend dance and drama and movement and therapy. So NYU is a very good school for an old soul who's interested in a lot of different things and going to live an unconventional life. And that's me. So it worked out. And it's it's so nice that at 17, you had such a clear sense of who you were. Like, I mean, maybe if you didn't get in, maybe you would have made your own opportunities in LA or California, which I think you would have. But it's so nice that at that young age, you made that right choice. I talked to so many really successful people and they're like, why did I go to that college? It was in my local hometown or like my mom said I should, or, you know, there isn't this like real understanding of who they are and what they want and what they want to discover. And so it's very cool to hear. And then having a single mom support that, very, very cool. Did you have any other siblings or do you have any other siblings? Yeah, I have an older brother. And what what was his path? Did he do something a little bit more maybe stable or no. what did he do? No, no, we are two totally unconventional humans. And both of our parents also have only really ever worked for themselves. So I think that's a really important thing to state because that we saw that model of taking big risks and making it work and like the ups and downs of life and figuring it out and the survival that comes along with it and all of that. So we both went on very different journeys. He spent his 20s kind of deep in a spiritual path, learning different spiritual modalities, living around the world, being in Hawaii, being in Peru. And then strangely enough, and it's totally great for him, he's come full circle and now works with my dad in like his my dad's family business, like in Texas. So, so wow. he's, he's lived many lives. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like an interesting person. Unconventional. We'll go back. We'll go with that um, adjective. I love it. Amazing. So you're at NYU. Are you thinking, obviously, if you got into this prestigious program, everyone tries to make it typically, I imagine from that program, if you're already being hand selected as one of the best, why would, you know, you got the best shot of anyone and everyone wants to make it. What was your thought process there? Are you like, I want to go try to make it in Hollywood. I had this special gift. Clearly you were at least, let's just say you were at least very talented. You know, we'll just, maybe you, who knows if you were going to make it or not, but you were very, very talented. What was your thought process when you were like thinking about graduating? Did you want to do it full time? Did you want to try to make it in the industry? I kind of tried. I kind of half-heartedly tried. And I say that because two things happened simultaneously. It came down to me and like one very famous person in a handful of like big roles and I didn't get it. And I remember being like, I didn't not get it because of my talent, right? Like this could be another decade of, of this. And that was hard for me. And it, it is an industry of t- the world telling you about yourself, not the other way around and you fitting into a box. And 
all the roles I was being cast for was were very like not like my core personality type. Like give an example. Like what's like the stereotypical role that you like maybe went for or they kept trying to put you in? She, you know, like the mean girl, the cheerleader, the ditz, the, you know, I was a young blonde and it was fine, but it was interesting to be told like you look, you were being typecast. You look this way. This is who you are. You know, and I booked so many commercials or I, you know, I was there all day, just like my hand got booked in something. My nose got booked in something. My foot got booked in something and a whole day would go by and you get paid so much money, but I wasn't like lit up by the work. So that happened. And then also I simultaneously was, I learned about this world of matchmaking, which was my first real career. and. I fell in love with the idea that I could be the reason two people find each other and fall in love and build a life together. And I just, at first I thought it was just going to be something that was going to pay the bills while I was auditioning. And then a year in, I realized I'd forgotten about auditioning and I just was obsessed with finding these people, their soulmate. And it just like, it started my journey connecting people and caring about just making their lives easier and more fulfilled was far more fulfilling for me than going out for the cheerleader role. And it just kind of happened. And that's the best way, right? When it's not even like conscious, it's just sort of you slowly pull away from things and slowly go towards the things that are meant for you. And if you talk about the key thing with the acting and the, you know, the roles that didn't, that didn't sink in, it was because it didn't light you up. The, I would, if there's very few things in this world that really light people up, like helping people find love. So it makes perfect sense that you almost went from one extreme to the other where you were like, this really is like not, it's like, it's like a zero in the scale of lighting me up. And then I'm going to go to like a 10, which is like providing people lifelong love and like a family and like the most selfless, wonderful service oriented thing. <laughs> like you just really just went to the other side. So it, it does make a lot of sense. Tell me a little bit more about what you love so much about matchmaking, maybe also why you were so good at it. Because I think there is, I mean, it's like Taylor's oldest time. There are just matchmakers that they just get people, they see it, they see unique combinations. So I'd love to hear more about like that experience and how you enjoyed it and why maybe you, we feel like you were so gravitated towards it and good at it. So I had the chance my first year as a matchmaker, I met with 973 single people in New York City. So I was 21, 22. Did you date any of those people? I have to ask. No, I love you. I love you for the question. It's the first question anyone asks. I was so... Did you fall in love? Yeah. Yeah, I I was so focused on the work. So I didn't. But everyone, the second... I'm like, here, I'm a stranger. We're sitting down having a coffee and someone who knows nothing about me, and I'm a young human at this time, they're telling me everything. They're just completely opening up and I'm vulnerability is the thing I'm most attracted to in this world. Like self-awareness and vulnerability to me is like the greatest turn on. And I'm just there and they're just telling and they're telling me. And I think I have a I have a superpower of just like seeing people and their potential and where like where they can go and what they're capable of. And so between those two things, like that level of like raw vulnerability and a reality where everybody is performing and projecting an identity that I get to see what's really going on. 
And then the fact that I could find someone that actually meets their needs that they, and those two people would grow together and bring out the best in each other and teach each other about their trauma and all of that. Like, to me, that's like, (laughs) I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's what lights me up. I love hearing that. And I think it's such a unique experience to have at 21. I mean, to really understand the human condition. I mean, talk about being a psychology major, like you can learn some things in textbooks and then you meet all these people and you're like, whoa. And you really, I feel like probably also realize we're all kind of the same. We all kind of have the same struggles and the same. So it also makes sense now that I think about what you're doing at Quilt. I'm like, hmm, I see strangers opening up and being vulnerable. Wow. That tracks back. Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. Okay. Yeah. We did a 1000 person case study way back when. Okay. So, so you're doing this matchmaking thing for a bit and then you pivot slightly to be doing, you're doing still community work, but I have here that you ended up going to Principia. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you left the matchmaking gig and what kind of came next and what that year of community and business development looked like? So Principia was actually my take on an evolved matchmaking concept. It was my first venture. So I worked at a matchmaking company that was a fairly like what you would call as a classic matchmaking style where typically men pay and then they get set up on dates. And after a little while, I, because if you Google me, you'll probably know I care quite a bit about gender equality. Mm. That I have seen that. I have seen that. We will get to it. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, forever, forever living on. So I was like, gosh, this doesn't feel fair, you know? <laughs> so I decided to create my own kind of structure where there was more of a membership model I would design experiences that sometimes just women would come to, sometimes just men would come to. It was more like normalizing this reality that we are socializing and everybody's kind of socializing because they ultimately would like to meet someone. This isn't this like weird taboo thing that we want to keep as this like hidden process. Let's bring it out and make it more of a social experience. And so I got to design dining experiences where I would say I would invite 16 people and I would say like, I think of someone in here for you, but let's see who you gravitate towards. Because the idea that I had chemistry with someone from across the room is very meaningful to people's story of like how it all began. And I noticed that sometimes I'd put two people in the same room and they wouldn't end up together, but then they'd go to a dining experience, meet from across the room, choose each other and end up together. So it was more of a social experiment and experience for single people to have fun together. And I did that for a little while. I love that. And I love that you saw kind of an outdated model and you were like, "Mm, I could do this better. How did you fund it? Did you get a lot of sponsors for these like dining experiences? Like what did that look like? I mean, this is your first venture and now you're this, you know, successful entrepreneur. Like what did that first founding experience look like? Were you just like, eh, I'm just going to take my savings and just test stuff out or I want to just help out my friends or what, what did that look like? It actually started because somebody that was a client approached me and, and had a couple of people who wanted to be silent partners and let me design it, a new experience from scratch. So kind of saw, saw the potential in me and basically said, the only reason I signed up for that is because of you. Like what you're doing is unique to me. Like, can we do something here? So 
it started from that place. And then certain brands would come in and sponsor. I mean, starting that kind of company, you don't need venture capital. People are paying membership and you can really, there's very little overhead and you can really build. It's about people and gathering people and curating experiences and getting people on board. So it's a revenue generating business model pretty much from day one. And yeah, we got to have a lot of fun and there's kind of low pressure because of that, I guess. I love that. Yeah, you can just kind of enjoy and have a few partners in it and not worry about these like gigantic returns. Before we move on to your your next gigs, I do want to just ask about matchmaking in general. Is there one big thing that you saw people get wrong as a 20-something? A lot of people are probably listening to this and we don't talk a lot about dating on this show, but I definitely like to d- touch on it sometimes. Like, is there anything that you're like, yeah, everyone seems to think you should do X, but it's really about Y or the attitude of X really needs to be Y. Like, do you have anything that really stood out to you that people get wrong or, you know, advice in that area because you interviewed so so many people and you have that unique experience? Yeah. I mean, I can, I can say I could tell if somebody was serious and ready for, to meet somebody or not, and you don't have to be ready to meet someone. But the people who had like a really long list of wants, you know, of like this school and this kind of job and this kind of thing typically aren't going into a conversation with someone open. People can really surprise us. Um, And if we can strip ourselves of like the judgment and putting people in like some stereotype or some box and just be open to the people that we're meeting, the universe can surprise us in so many ways. And I really, like, I don't believe in coincidence. I really believe that two people meet for a reason. So staying curious and non-judgmental about why that person could end up funding your next idea, could end up being a business partner, could end up having a brother that is your person or it, like you have no idea. So just building relationships and authentically and not judging, I think would be my, my biggest piece of advice. I love that one. I have a friend who uh, is dating her first date's roommate because when she went back to the place, she definitely hit it off with the roommate more than the guy. So, yep, that's a that's a, that's a great point. And it, it happens yes. all the time. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, that oh, hopefully that's fine. Okay, so then you're doing this matchmaking stuff with this more traditional firm than on your own. And then you go to Newhouse, Neuhaus. Neuhaus. Noia House, yeah. Noia. The UE is a little tough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, naming a business. We had a hard time. Yeah, we had a hard time with that. I had a fun time with that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But okay, so you you went there and I mean, I know what it is. It's just like, it's kind of like a Soho house, a a fancier WeWork, if you will. This like private space for creators and creatives mostly to just like hang out and like eat and chat and have parties and do cool stuff. And you did community work there. So tell me more about how you enjoyed that. And it does seem rooted in this people thread that we keep coming back to. But how did you like your time there? And yeah, tell me more about it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Getting into that job, I think, is an important thing to talk about. Because if anyone's like, ah, what am I doing with my life? There's no blueprint after college or after the first job or after the second job. I hate all of this. Like, what? Am, what's next? And I left matchmaking because I wanted to have a greater impact on the world. Like I was very clear that I'm setting up these one-on-one dates or these small groups of people and that's great. But like, what's the next big wave of, of impact? And so I took a massive step back. I had met a lot of people and I asked about a hundred different people to have a coffee with me where I got to ask them questions about their career. And I got 20 job offers 
spanning some of the craze. Like I could have been, I got like, whether it was a tech recruiter or being like a, an assistant to a, like a hospitality brand owner. Like I had a full spectrum of job opportunities and I met the founder who was getting Noya House started and he found out that I was a matchmaker and he said to me, like, you have brought love into people's lives for the past four or five years. Can you bring that level of love and belonging into the space? Like, if I give you capital, you can do whatever you want, but can you, like, can you do that here in a non-romantic way? And that like, I remember getting goosebumps when he asked that, when he saw that in me. And it was the lowest paying job <laughs> of all of the job offers. And I knew that that was going to be a struggle. But I also knew that I was going to get to create and make something out of nothing. That was at the very beginning and be on a founding team. And that's what we got to do. Like, it was, that was a hard job. And we, we pulled off some really interesting things. And I really appreciated the opportunity to kind of like create from nothing. So it sounds like he also really saw you for you. Like, you know, like really got it. Was like, yep, what you've done there, I want you to come here. And also starting something from nothing, being on founding team, again, entrepreneurial, like really creating. And it sounds like even in these roles that maybe like on paper look like you're just an employee at a company, you're actually like really building your own thing and very early teams and like really kind of doing stuff that are uniquely your your traits. What was the coolest thing that you did? Like if you had to narrow it down, I'm sure you did a lot of fun events and met a lot of amazing people. Is there one really fun story that you like to share from that time? I started a dinner series there where I took the heads of industries, like some some really interesting kind of like profound music producer and then, you know, whatever, Deepak Chopra spirituality and brought in people to talk about like, if we were going to merge these two industries, if we were going to look into the future, five, 10, 20, 50 years from now and see how like spirituality and music deserve to like make a baby together and create something new, like what would that look like? And those types of conversations that, you know, binaural beats and, you know, the frequency of music and how healing it can be in sound baths had not started yet. And they were brought up in that, in that. And some of those people went on to go do those things and create those companies and help those people. So I think I had, I had the most fun designing those conversations, those small group conversations. I love that. And the beauty of those powerful conversations, which you now know very well with Quilt, is there's ripple effects so far beyond what you could ever imagine. Those really thoughtful moments, people go start companies, people then like meet up later for coffee and it becomes a, a longer thing. I love that. So you're, you're doing work there. Then you go serve as the interim head of, head of membership and community at Wanderlust Holdings. And this is getting maybe towards like the end of your 20s decade. What was that role like at Wanderlust Holdings and why the departure from Neuhaus? So the departure from Neuhaus, so I ended up moving to LA, helping open the physical location in LA and help with hiring. And when I left New York and I went to LA, I'd say like, in New York, I was so busy. I was grinding and hustling. And I was so busy. And when I went to LA, I took a, a moment to take a step back, which I think is every like year, just take a step back and see like, is this really like what I want to do? Like we were all made to do something like otherwise you wouldn't be here. 
And so we all have a purpose. Is this like, does this feel an alignment for me? And you're right. I was 27 at the time. And while I was super proud of what I had accomplished, I also felt like until this point, I'd been helping pretty much the top 1% get more connected in the world. Somebody who can get into Neue House, pay to get into Neue House, physically be able to show up to Neue House. Like that's, that's awesome. But what about all the other people who like are on a path and craving connection and craving this type of transformation that I'm seeing happen in front of me? And can I play a role in that? Can I impact more people and play a bigger role? And I knew at the time technology was the answer, this very daunting, scary thing as like a musical theater major (laughs) and psychology buff. But I knew technology needed to be woven into that experience just to see what it was capable of going from like a centralized to a decentralized system. And while I was having that awakening and kind of my own beginning of my own spiritual path, a company like Wonderless, which you know, was the largest yoga music festival around the world who needed some support opening their physical location in Hollywood. Like that was an opportunity for me to energetically organize my time around other people who are also on that path and wanting to figure out like who they are and what they want to do in the world. So I signed up for six months to kind of help bring that to life while I was also in the process of figuring out what quilt was going to become. Amazing. Amazing. And it's always good to have those like little stints where you meet amazing people. It helps kind of with the creative inspiration. Like you talked about even wanting to go to New York to get that. But it sounds like quilt was starting to percolate. Can you tell me, I know, and then, you know, within a couple of years, quilt kind of came to be, what was like that early founding story? And I know what quilt started as is a bit different than what quilt is now, like all great businesses, right? Things change and pivot. So can you tell me a little bit about starting quilt and like what, what those, you know, early couple of years were like? Yeah. So I was honest with myself in wrapping my time at Wonderlust that, I had just had almost 10 years of so much fun building community and seeing like the the fruits of my labor kind of blossom. Uh, And I was also really burnt out and exhausted. And I kind of like looked around, I was meeting a lot of different people and I was like, huh, like you're a community builder and you're a community builder and you're a community builder. Like this is a skill. This is a gift that people have and oftentimes women And I, at the time, was connected to another woman who cared very deeply about building community for women. And I was wanting to build a technology platform that inspired other people to be community builders and get paid for it. And she had opened a house in Venice gathering women to co-work. And so we ended up deeply bonding, realizing that we had fairly aligned visions, realized that neither of us had ever, like, you know, put a deck together, raise capital, build a tech. Like, I mean, just all of the things that actually take so much time. And so we bonded and bunkered down. And originally we were going to do our separate things, but just kind of be accountability buddies. And during that process, we're like, wait, what are we doing? Like, let's just do this together. And so Quilt was really born from that kind of the chemical reaction, I think, between two really young, hungry visionaries that wanted to make it happen. Yeah. I love, I love this phrase of chemical reaction. Like that's, you can kind of just imagine that you two just have the synergy and, and 
you put it, you know, your minds together, your networks together of community builders. It's actually a funny story. I remember vividly, I was in college and I was sitting at my house senior year outside. So maybe I'm dating myself a little bit, but I was sitting on a couch and there was this amazing community builder in college, a woman. And she said, oh yeah, I'm working for this company. I'm interning for this company called Quilt. Really? Yep. This was a long time ago. And I was sitting, because I I think of myself, I mean, if it's not obvious with the podcast, like I think of myself in my own world as a community builder, especially for women. And so I'm gravitated, obviously, like you to, to those people. And we were sitting outside on, on our couch and she's like, oh yeah, I've got this amazing internship. I think it was internship. I don't know. Maybe she's a consultant or something. This platform quilt, we bring people together in real life. And we do these meetups and we do these things. And she was in LA. With, I went to USC. And I remember hearing it and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to look into this. This is so cool. And like loop me in and whatever. And we kind of, I kind of like never really followed up on it. But I remember vividly like sitting on this couch and having this conversation. And I remember the word quilt and I, you know, this, she'll hear it hearing back. But I remember like, that's a great idea. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like, and I think even like, I, I feel like a lot of community builders, they're resourceful. They can sometimes get sponsorship. They can sometimes do all these things, like figure out the venue, but to have a platform that makes it easier and brings, you know, like-minded people and gives you an audience. So anyway, I just wanted to give you that little like fun story. I learned about quilt. Like, I think it was early days. Like it had to have been. Yeah. It had to have been. Like I said, no coincidences. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, thought you would appreciate that. So I you do. you yeah. obviously started in that way and then COVID hit and things had to change a little bit. So you had kind of like an IRL meetup platform vision and then things changed. Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys have pivoted in the past couple of years? Oof, yeah, it was interesting. So a couple of months before COVID happened, me and my business partner decided to separate, like go our separate paths. So you know, she went on to build a family. Like I was like, I want to bunker down and like really build this thing thinking it was going to be, you know, people opening their homes for conversations at the time we had, we had opened about 5,000 homes. And then, and so she left, this is now like my baby, you know, to be like, what, what's the roadmap? Where's this going to go? And then a month later, strangers stopped gathering in homes because COVID hit and we were sheltering in place. And I was like, okay fascinating, really fascinating. And I learned a lot about myself because I am someone who does well in extreme circumstances. And that's a good skill to have. It's a good skill to have in COVID when your business is about people meeting up in real life. Well, you know, I have, I, I really need to call. There was one BC I was talking to who is an investor, but a guy that I know in LA. And I just happened to be on the phone with him kind of in the days where it was LA, it was raining. And we were like one or two days away from everything shutting down and sheltering in place. And I hadn't fully wrapped my head around what was coming. And he said, he called it the new normal. He was like, Ashley, the new normal is coming. Like, what are you going to do? And something like, I need to send him a thank you note because something in me was like, whoa, we're never going back. This is only forward. And, and I do think some companies were like, we're going to wait this out. And like, I didn't wait it out. I hung up the phone. I went into my offices. I gathered my entire team. And I said, you're never going to see this office again. We're most likely not going to be gathering in person for two plus more years. And we're, and we're going to figure it out. But like, just like update the operating system right now. We'll Later, we'll grieve the thing that we don't have time to grieve. And like, let's do this. And within 24 hours before shelter took place, we 
updated all of our tech systems to make everything Zoom as the interim choice. And so we were the supportive platform to come together to have intimate conversations while you're going through something. And all of a sudden, everyone got to book in and just be in a Zoom. And we we did... If, you know, if we had done 5,000 over the course of 18 months of conversations, we did 2,000 in like a week. Like it just was like people needed to talk and we were not spinning our wheels on it. So gosh, I haven't reflected on that in a while, but it was a very interesting, big moment. And I do think with pivots, what, you know, one of my, my lead investors who sits on my board, Rishi from Mayfield, he has done a lot of work understanding pivots. And his biggest advice to me, he later came on as an investor, was the most important thing is to work really, really fast when you're deciding to make a change. Like, do not waste time or money spinning your wheels on it. If you have like an inner voice that's telling you that you want to go in a new direction, go. I love that advice. Yeah. And you obviously did that and then made the opportunity for yourself because then everyone was like, which platform is out there? And you guys were ready, you know? And I think you could have taken a lot of time to really build that. And clearly you did it very fast. Well, it's very exciting to see how much Quilt has developed and changed over the past couple of years. I do want to ask you about that one article we hinted out earlier. If we Google you, your massive New York Times article about, you can explain it better than I, but the gist is, you know, a lot of people will call you a female founder and qualify your role as a founder with being a woman. This happens a lot with people of color. This happens a lot with women. And you were like, absolutely not. You, There's a quote I, I'll just say here. You said, when is labeling and support and celebration of furthering our mission of equality successful? And when is it othering and hurting our mission? And so I thought that that was a really powerful line. Could you tell me a little bit more about how that article even came to be? And then also, if you have any advice on how we can actually empower women to be more founders, be investors, all the things, if it's not labeling them, like what, what is the thing that you even recommend we can do to get more women interested in business and building cool stuff? I wrote, I went on a run that morning and it was International Women's Day and my inbox was full on, you know, things I would do or say or show up to. And I was like, gosh, like, where's this the rest of the year? You know, this is this kind of interesting thing. You know, in the year leading up to that and leading up to COVID, there was all of these like conferences that like had the women's panel. And there wasn't at the pace I would have liked to post me to, there wasn't the evolution of integration of like, what is it to be beyond your gender or your skin color or your sexual orientation? What does it look like to not just feel like, the quota of the venture firm or of like the, the company you work for to just be like, Ooh, we like, we, we have a woman in the C-suite look, you know, like imagine that person's experience every time they're being asked to like be the face of that now, that now company in that business. So I believe my purpose is to spark meaningful conversation. You did that. <laughs> you certainly did that. I did that. I, I had a goal of like getting 10 downloads from LinkedIn and then it reached tens of millions of people and obviously sparked quite a bit of conversation. And I'd say the thing that like I care the most about that I think is the most important thing that I did not experience in my 20s that breaks my heart is women supporting women and men identifying and understanding what it means to be an ally. 
And I, every company I worked for until I created the company I have today did not set women up to be supportive and successful of each other. And I regret not fighting harder for that. I regret being like someone who allowed myself to become competitive with another woman because I knew one would win. But like for me, you women can come together. We have resource, we have intelligence, we have grit, we we have all of the capacities that anyone needs to create their new reality. And that's what for me I'm doing, like creating an emotionally evolved culture uh, that's diverse with people coming together. You know, there's no perfect answer, but there's so much power in human connection and what we can do for each other and get away from like the fear-based separateness and just realize like we're all going to be successful if we help one another. Let's invest in each other. Time, resource, capital, pep talks, like whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but make ourselves available so that we can all succeed and not give up on that. So that's kind of where I'm at in my career now. Well, I'll give you a shout out for even coming on this podcast because that is what you're doing in a way, right? Like, I've shared this with your team, but like 90% women listen to this show. So even just sharing your story, that is supporting women. That's giving inside scoop. That's saying, oh, my investor told me this little tidbit, or I was struggling with this in my path. And I think it's the obvious ways of like hopping on a phone call and consoling someone and maybe joining a conversation. But it's also the not obvious stuff like reading a book or sharing your story, writing an article, being on a podcast, you know, like, because you have this purpose to create meaningful conversation and give back and support women, it's small ways even like this that, you know, go a long way. So shout out to you for that. And I completely agree with you. So I could keep chatting with you, but I do have one final question. We ask all our guests this, and I know you've shared lots of gems throughout this chat, but if there is one piece of advice you'd give to all 20-somethings, what is that one piece of advice? Just spend less time worrying about if people like you or what people think of you and focus more on ways in which you can like uncover your blind spots, increase your self-awareness and figure out like who and what you want to be in this world. And then focus all of your time and energy on doing that and let the rest of it go away to the other side of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) I love that answer. I love that answer. Work on being more of a, was it phase four versus a phase three? Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to wait until your 30s to get into (laughs) You can try to dabble. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Ashley. This was super fun. And obviously, we'll share all the info on Quilt in the show notes so you guys can go download and participate in some cool conversations. Thank you, Erica. This was a blast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts. 